This morning we hit the end of the first half of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, so we're about halfway through, and up to this point, uh, I, I preached about 10 uh, sermons, uh, but I don't think there'll be another 10 more uh, because uh, Solomon gets kind of repetitive, and uh, so there'll probably be maybe three or four uh, more sermons in Ecclesiastes before we wrap it up. The topics that Solomon has addressed up to this point include finding meaning. You know, remember, that's what this uh, book is all about. He's on a quest to find ultimate meaning in such things as wisdom, knowledge, money, possessions, pleasure, even a living a long life. And, and each time he investigates these things, he ends up disappointed. He finds that, uh, no ultimate meaning in any of these things. And not only that, Solomon's frustrated by the way things are. He's frustrated by the realities he faces uh, in this life under the sun. He wants answers. He wants answers to these big questions of why is there suffering? Why is there oppression? Why is there injustice? Why do things often seem unfair? Uh, for example, he points out a number of times, the wicked prosper, yet the righteous suffer. So throughout the book, as we've seen, Solomon declares life under the sun to be hebel or a vapor. It's meaningless. In other words, it's incomprehensible. You just can't understand it. However, to Solomon's credit, he does take time to reflect on the good things in life. And there are a number of passages uh, interspersed throughout Ecclesiastes that are often called the joy passages. Uh, there's uh, actually seven joy passages in Ecclesiastes. So this morning we'll be exploring one of those joy passages, but I, I want to caution you because Solomon immediately follows up the joy passage with another one of those observations that just utterly perplexes him. And which only leads to more questions. So the last time we were in the book, a few weeks ago, the, last, the, the first half of uh, chapter 5, uh, you might recall that we talked about Solomon's observations uh, concerning wealth and power and possessions. Uh, Solomon essentially says that those who strive after uh, power, those who love money, those who hoard wealth and, and their possessions, he says, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. So that's a pretty strong statement uh, for someone who, who strives after those things. Now, uh, he's referring you know, to making money and possessions and wealth. He's referring to making those into an idol. That, that's what he's talking about. In other words, making those things more important than God. And in fact, those things, money, wealth, and possessions, you know, they aren't bad in, the, in themselves. Um, and, and the fact that they're not bad in themselves is illustrated by, by what Solomon says in, in today's uh, joy passage. Uh, chapter 5, verse 18. He says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment and all the toil. Now remember when he says toil, he, he basically means labor or work. Because uh, we, when we use the word toil, it, it kind of has a negative connotation. So if I enjoyment in all the, the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. 
Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his law and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. So as a follow-up to what Solomon says about the dangers of wealth, power, and possessions, he says that those things aren't bad in themselves. It's, it's the use of those things or, or the misuse of those things. It's, it's, it's treating those things as, as your idol, uh, which is bad. You'll never find meaning. You'll never find purpose or fulfillment or satisfaction in those things themselves. Or if you think you will, you're being deceived. It's all a lie. Because we're all familiar with what Jesus says, uh, with what Jesus and Paul uh, say about the pursuit of wealth. Uh, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. We, 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 that's a familiar verse from Matthew 6. And then Paul writes in 1 Timothy, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So money is not the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money, Paul says. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Now when we go back to our, our joy passage that I read, you notice that Solomon mentions God four times. He mentions joy four times. That's, that's why we call it a joy passage. And three of the times he mentions God, he notes that God is the giver. God is the giver of these gifts. Solomon recognizes that the key to handling wealth, possessions, and power is, is that the source of those things is God. And when we recognize that God is our provider, whether rich or poor, uh, or in between, uh, we, we can find enjoyment in God's provision. And when we recognize that God is our provider, we, we can hang on to our stuff loosely. Uh, we can even let go of it. Because God um, will still fill our hands. Um, our, our hands will still be full. Scripture reminds us, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For He, Jesus, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, there's, there's a poem by a woman named Martha Snell Nicholson. Uh, she was a poet who learned to be content in Christ even in spite of the pain of a, a severe chronic condition uh, that ultimately took her life. Now, consider the wisdom that she records in this poem called Treasures uh, in light of everything we've discussed in Ecclesiastes 5. She says, One by one, God took them from me, all the things I valued most, till I was empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. And I walked earth's highways grieving in my rags of poverty till I heard his voice inviting, lift those empty hands to me. 
So I turned my hands toward heaven, and he filled them with a store of his own transcendent riches till they could contain no more. And at last I comprehended with my stupid mind and dull that God could not pour his riches into hands already full. Praise God. Uh, Warren, uh, the pastor Warren Wearsby writes, if we focus more on the gifts than on the giver, we are guilty of idolatry. If we accept his gifts but complain about them, we are guilty of ingratitude. If we hoard his gifts and will not share them with others, we are guilty of indulgence. But if we yield to his will and use what he gives us for his glory, then we can enjoy life and be satisfied. Now, I want you to notice that one of those uh, gifts in this particular joy passage is not the money, it's not the possessions, but the gift from God is the ability to enjoy those gifts. I don't know if you noticed that. Verse 19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possession, now here's the gift, and the power to enjoy them. And not only that, to, but to accept his lot or, or place in life and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. So the, even the power to enjoy them and to accept your lot in life and to rejoice in your work, those are gifts from God. So the power to enjoy those gifts is a gift from God. Even the, the ability to be content and work joyfully is a gift from God. I mean, God is sovereign. God is good. And then Solomon concludes with a statement about contentment. He says, For he will not remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. So in other words, the person to whom God grants contentment and the ability to enjoy his wealth is so preoccupied with gratitude and contentment that he doesn't allow uh, the darker realities of life to overshadow his blessings. Those darker realities are still there, but they're not consumed. He's not consumed by them. They don't overshadow God's blessings. So, speaking of darker realities, in the beginning of chapter 6, Solomon provides examples of someone with wealth possessions and honor, all gifts from God. And another example of a, of, of a man with many children and a long life, but this time God withholds something. So, so Solomon gives two examples, and then he uses a disturbing illustration. First, the examples. Chapter 6, uh, verses uh, 1 through 3. So Solomon observes, he says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. So what he means by that is that he sees it as being fairly common. That's what he means by it lies heavy. Example one, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them but a stranger enjoys them. 
This is vanity. It's a grievous evil, Solomon says. Example two. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, now remember, those are considered huge blessings uh, back in those days, you know, especially uh, uh, many children. So that the days of a year, his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial. So, did you notice what God withheld? The gift that he didn't give for some reason. God gives the first person wealth, possessions, and honor, lacking nothing that, of, of all that he desired. God gives the other person a full quiver of children, you know, as the, um, the Psalms uh, talk about it, and many years yet, God does not give the power to enjoy them. We don't know why. But God gave all those things, yet he withheld the power to enjoy those things. And then to top it off, what, what totally perplexes Solomon is that he, a stranger enjoys them. Solomon calls this an evil, and not just an evil, a grievous evil. So Solomon is perplexed uh, by this, uh, uh, this thing that just defies explanation. And he's so perplexed that he writes, I say that a stillborn child is better off than this person, for it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it, the child, finds rest rather than he. Even though, he should live, even though the man should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to one place. Solomon claims that the child is better off because it, it never experiences the harshness of life, as, uh, according to his examples. And the child actually finds rest where the others don't. So, so how do we make sense of this? How do we explain this situation when, when even Solomon is mystified by it? Well, once again, it's, it's all about God. I mean, I'm not sure what Solomon knew about God, uh, but Scripture tells us, and our experience supports it, that God is good. Amen? I mean, we can start from that foundation, that God is good. That God is supremely good. He, he is the definition of good. But God is also just. He's perfectly just. And God is sovereign over all things. And His sovereignty is never separated from His goodness and His justice. So our, our sovereign God is also perfectly good and perfectly just. Psalm 105 says, For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and His faithfulness to all generations. James 1.17 Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And again, Isaiah 30, 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. I and mean, we could go on, 
But, but with that as a starting point, we can begin to put some of these things into perspective. So Solomon gives three different scenarios. Two men are given by God wealth, possessions, and power, and one was given uh, many children and a long life. But God gives only one the ability to enjoy those things. So we remember God is sovereign, and His sovereignty is governed by His goodness and His justice. But why in the world would God give someone something but then withhold the ability to enjoy it? Now we can recall that Jesus teaches His disciples that it is difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven apart from a miracle of God. So remember that the rich man that Jesus spoke to, he wouldn't give up his earthly treasures uh, for a heavenly treasure. So his, his earthly, it wasn't the fact that he was rich, it was that he was, um, he turned those earthly treasures into an idol, so much so that he wasn't even willing to give them up for the earth, earthly treasures. So it's not, it's not about being rich. But we can only speculate. But perhaps one way that God saves the rich is, is through the meaninglessness or, or the vanity of the riches that can't be enjoyed. I mean, when, when you get to the top and, and you have everything you've ever wanted, but you still feel empty inside, uh, then you've got to wonder if there must be something better, or something more satisfying out there. So, so God wants to expose our need for Him. He wants to show us that riches or, or anything else, I don't mean to pick on riches, but He wants to show us that anything else that we worship instead of God, any, any other idol, uh, just can't be the ultimate thing. And, and not allowing the ability to find satisfaction in that thing or in that stuff is uh, perhaps God's goodness to us because nothing but God can ultimately satisfy. So all of this misery, uh, especially as uh, Solomon points out, all of this misery is to expose our need for God and, and to drive us uh, to contentment in Him. Money and things are fleeting, like a vapor, like, like Solomon keeps pointing out. They ultimately fail to satisfy. So this reveals our need for God and shows that everything is meaningless without Jesus. Uh, one author wrote that uh, Jesus is the ultimate antidote to materialism. Jesus is the ultimate antidote to materialism. So when our, when our satisfaction is in Jesus, we can sing confidently uh, with the hymn that says, it says, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. So Solomon wrote about God as giver. God is sovereign and good and just, and He gives and takes away freely according to His, his character, according to His uh, perfect will, and for our ultimate good. 
rich or poor, uh, we can trust in God the giver who says, he says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So in closing, I want to highlight that we have a generous God, an exceedingly generous and loving God. If we just look at some, I, I just picked out four. Look at, look at some of the gracious gifts uh, from our, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, to those who are in need of repentance in, in order to restore, um, in order to experience renewal, Jesus gives forgiveness. In 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And to those who are burdened with grief or depression or just plain weary, Jesus gives rest. Matthew 11.28 says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And those who want to discover real meaning and direction in life, Jesus gives purpose. Matthew 4.19 says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And what greater purpose is that than to lead others to Christ? And to all humanity, separated from God because of our rebellion, Jesus gives Himself. Amen? Jesus gives Himself so that we might be reconciled to God. And the go-to verse for this is, is John 3.16. God, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Praise God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for the precious gift of Your Son, Jesus Christ. It is through Him and Him alone that we are saved, Lord. And I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who does not recognize You, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior, Lord, that they would, they would do that today, Lord. That today is the day of salvation, Lord that they would come to You in repentance and faith, Lord. Lord, we thank You for that. And we thank You in, in Jesus' name. Amen.